Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that as you listen, you will be encouraged in your journey and that your relationship with Father God will be strengthened and deepened. Here's this week's message from Pastor Claude. Father, we thank you for your word that is alive. And what we want to see is to see your word penetrate our hearts. And I think about Brenton that is speaking in mourning right now. I pray that you would be on him, that you would speak through him to the church out there too. In all that we do, Lord, we want to live for your fame and for your glory. So we place yourself available to what you want to say. And uh, I know that you have a word in season. I know that you want to speak this morning. I pray that you would help me to communicate what you've placed on my heart and that you would have your way in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. You may grab a seat. Like it was mentioned, we're having a Hearing God seminar, and you've never been part of a Hearing God seminar. We invite you to be part of it. It changes everything when you learn to hear. And uh, the last thing you want to do is to journey as a Christian and not hearing what God has to say, where God speaks to you through his word, but also places uh, uh, ramas and uh, eliminates your hearts. Amen. So we are in the series of Nehemiah, and it's brick by brick. And we've been talking about uh, Nehemiah that had the challenge to um, respond to God's calling to build a wall around uh, Jerusalem for those that, if you're here for the first time, we've been going through the book. And it's an amazing story because it's a similar story that when we look at our lives, we can, we, we can see the parallel where God places a call upon our hearts and we have the choice to respond or not or walk by faith or not and to rely on God's provision to do what we're called to do, uh, facing a position uh, from the outside, facing, facing a, position, a position from the inside, and finally fulfilling the task. It's kind of a snapshot of what life is, right? So what we find in Nehemiah chapter 1, we see God placing a, a burden on Nehemiah's heart. For the cause of the kingdom then, that was the wall of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is burdened by this call to build this wall, but he doesn't know what to do. So he prays. The second thing that we see in the book is that he turns to God, and he seeks his face. And then he places himself available to say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do in this? So he fasts, he prays, and then in faith, at one point, he decides to talk with the king, taking a risk. He, he, he did not have a slow where usually that's how it works. You need to be invited by the king. But at that moment, he was burdened. The king saw it, and he saw that, that Nehemiah was sad. And so Nehemiah spills out his heart for Jerusalem. And God blesses Nehemiah, provides to his needs, and gives him what he needs to see the wall being built. And so after that, as they go, and then what happened, Nehemiah regroups the people, and all the people came together as, as a family, the family, the Israelites as a people, and they build on the wall, and every family had a section of the wall. Amazing story of unity. And then what happens when they're halfway built, well, the wall is, uh, is halfway built, and the enemy comes and tries to prevent the, the wall of being built. And then, so we, we saw that in chapter 4. And, and, and then we saw that as they were building the wall, they, were ha they had some uh, inner issues or they had uh, in-house issues and they had to deal with the fact that the rich were taking advantage of those that were less fortunate. And so Nehemiah addresses that. But chapter 6, it's where everything happens, where it's the pinnacle of the book because this is where we see God fulfilling this awesome promise uh, of the wall being built. And if you look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, 
It says, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. Can you say to your neighbor, woo-ha, can you do that? Woo-ha. Hey, 52 days, the wall was built. That was an amazing exploit. The wall was ruined. It was, it was just a mountain of rubbles. And then God's people came together under the leadership of Nehemiah, under the leading of God, and they were able to build the wall. So it was an ex exciting, exciting moment. And, and so we see from chapter 1 to chapter 6 the journey. But what we find in this, this when we look at verse 15, what really gets our attention is that the wall was finished. And I, I think the magic word here is the word finish. Um, one of the things that I want to be known for, and I pray that that's also your desire, it's to be a finisher. Can you say to your neighbor, I want to be a finisher? I want to be a finisher. I, I just don't want to be known as someone that starts. I want to be known as someone that finishes what they've started. I want to be a finisher. And uh, I had the chance last week to meet with some amazing pastors um, Uh, of, uh, of influential churches in, in Canada. And uh, I sat beside Henry, a pastor of uh, basically 40 years in the same church, uh, a pastor that has multiple campuses, a one of the biggest church in Canada. And I was hearing his story. One evening we were talking about our journey. And so Hen Henry started to talk about his journey, that he started to pastor a church. He was very, very young. And, um, and he's been in the same church basically for 40 years. So the question said, was, how old were you when you started? Nine years old, five years old? And, and so he worked his heart out for all these years. And uh, he was telling us about his journey of dealing with cancer three times. Once when he started his ministry in his early 20s. One later on in another third one, three different cancers he, he, he dealt with. And then he was sitting around me, um, around this with me around this table. And my thought was like, you're still pastoring. You're still going hard. He still preaches four times on the weekend. And uh, for sure, the journey, like chemo and all that, for sure, it was not like uh, stay behind the pulpit for like, uh, like preaching four times when he was very sick. But the thought was, This, this guy wanted to finish his race. It was evident when I was talking to him and when we were sharing his heart that he had a heart for the church. You could see tears coming, out, coming down his, his cheeks to say, hey, I want to finish the race. I want to make a difference. I'm not done. Claude, I'm not done. And it's so amazing to see. And I believe that that's what God is looking for. He's looking for people, for me and you, To be a people that doesn't say it's done, I, I want to do what I'm called to do. If, if it's done, it's done. But if it's not done, it's not done. And so we want to be a people that does finish what we start. It might be in our marriage, it might be in our business, it might be uh, all around. But it's important for us to, to be a people that do not quit. Can you tell your neighbor that you, you're not a quitter? You're not a quitter, right? So what we want to do as a church is that We want to move forward. I know for myself, when I was sitting around this table, I was convicted of running hard and giving my best and not to hold back. When I see these examples of people of faith that they have worked hard for years and years, it just motivates me to do the same. I'm looking at the next generation here, those that are 40 below or 50 below. I'll be generous, 50 below. Realize that God wants you to step up. 
Realize that God wants to work in your life, that God wants to reveal himself through you. And many times we disqualify ourselves because we don't think we're good enough, or for whatever reason we put ourselves on the sideline. But you got to realize that God has placed a call upon you and has called, God has placed a call upon us. And he wants us to respond to him and to give it our all and to say, God, here I am, use me and work through me. Because when it comes to life, as you are aware, life is so short and really there's way more than things and way more than pleasure when it's all said and done. Uh, we, we know that when we live a life without purpose and significance, it's very boring. There's, no, there's not a drive. And all these other things will pass away. But one thing that doesn't pass away, it's to see Jesus one day and to, to meet with him. And that should motivate us when it comes to living our lives. So when we look at the Bible, we see some finishers. We see Jesus the greatest finisher, where he endured the cross and rejected by his own, was born in a manger. God became flesh, and we see his journey healing the sick. And at one point, he's saying to the people, he's saying, guys, you know it's going to rain by the clouds. You know that it's going to be hot because of the wind right now. And you're not able to discern What's happening right now, the kingdom is at hand, and you're not seeing it. So he's pouring his heart, healing the sick, doing, uh, uh, fulfilling the law, fulfilling the Old Testament, and people are not seeing it. And you see him journey, and you see him die a criminal death. And he's there on the cross, and I talked about that last week, where he says, forgive them. But he has this famous word, it is finished. You see? It is finished. And then he died, and here we are today. Because of his obedience, because of his sacrifice, because of, of his desire to see us be reconciled with him, he was a finisher. And I look at my master, and I look at the one that we're called to follow because we're followers of Jesus. He was a finisher. And God wants me to be a finisher too. When it comes to my calling, when it comes to your calling, when it comes to what God has placed upon your life, and so we want to be finished. I look at Paul. Paul was a finisher too. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. He remained faithful. He fought the, he fought the good fight and he finished the race. What a statement, right? What a statement. That's what we want to hear, right? We want to hear good and faithful servant one day. But we, we, we have to realize, like Nehemiah, there was a lot of challenges. From receiving the call in Susa to go to Jerusalem and build a wall, facing a position, challenge it. It was not a piece of cake. But he was driven with purpose, knowing that God has placed a call on his life, and he finished the task in 52 days. It was remarkable. We look at David. In Acts chapter 13, verse 36, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, for when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. His body decayed, even though he was a king. He was buried with his father. But one thing last is that he served God in his own generation. Amazing, right? What a statement, right? Wouldn't it be that amazing if that would sum up our life or my life and your life that we've served God's purpose in our generation? Because I only have one generation. I only have one life. And we see David fulfilling God's purposes in, all, in his own generation. That's a call for all of us. I think about Noah that 
was called to build an ark where there was no lake, where there was no water. Right? 100 years. Build that boat where there's no water. Faithful to the task. And I like the story, uh, at the end of the story, where God closes the door. Right? The door is so big, he's not able to close it. God closes the door. He finished the ark. I look at Abraham that left his homeland to go to a strange land, not knowing where he was going, to never go back home. What a story. We're looking at these men and these ladies of faith in the Bible and how awesome they are, but we, sometimes what we do is we place them on a pedestal and we think that it's not achievable, that we can't be like that. And that's what James says when he talks about Elijah. He's a man just like you. He was able to stop praying and to see the rain stop for three years and to see it come back. And, and, and he says, he's, you're the, of the same nature of of Elijah. So it's important for us to realize that God has placed a call on us. And, and it's not going to be easy to finish. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 2, look what it says. But I realized, Nehemiah is saying this, but I realized that they were plotting to harm me. And I, and I replied by sending this message to them I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times he sent the, mess, the same message, and each time I gave him the same reply. The fifth time, Sambala's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations. Rumors, right? There's always rumors around the surrounding nations. And Goshen tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel against the king of Persia, and that is why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. And so he also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim you, to proclaim about you, look, there's a king in Judah. It was all lies. It was nothing of that was true. But Nehemiah says this famous phrase, I'm engaged in this great work. If you look at verse 10, it says, Later I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, grandson of Mehib Tabal, who, has who was confined in his home. And he said, let us meet together inside of the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Actually, he was used by Sembele, was paid by Sembele to do that because they wanted to see Nehemiah sin. You, he says, your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from, the, from that, from danger? Should, should someone in my position enter the temple and save his life? No, I won't do it. In verse 13, it says, they were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they, were, uh, then they would have been able to accuse and discredit me. So he was able to discern and he didn't go to the temple and sin because he was not allowed to, to go uh, in the temple because he was not a priest. So he was able to, to, to stay safe. He, he had persecution or some, some enemies from the outside and even in the inside, people wanted to see him fall. But what really gets my attention in chapter 6, that really rocks me in the inside. And I didn't know how to approach this message. And maybe I'm preaching to myself today. Because I really feel convicted by this, this message. And, and, and it's this phrase that Nehemiah says. He says in verse 3, so, replied, so I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work and I can't come. I'm engaged in this great work and I can't come. And he was taken by this great work. And he saw this great work that was the wall, and he was consumed with his calling of building the wall. 
And I think sometimes what happens to us, we're not seeing this great work. Sometimes we don't understand or we don't realize that this world or what, where God has placed us is a great work. I look at this church. This is a great church. There's so much, so much work to do. I'm looking at yesterday and, and Friday we had us set free. I'm looking at Brenton that is preaching in, in morning today. I, I think about this young man that came to talk to me, I believe after the second service with tears on his eyes that recommitted his life to Jesus last week. And there's stories on and on and on from influencing Europe to Quebec to ministering to our nation. It's amazing what God is doing. It's a great work. There's a great work happening here. There's a great work that God wants you to be part of. And sometimes we don't realize there's a great work. And sometimes we get caught by Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 2. And I don't think it's in the back there. It says, Sambala and Gosham sent a message asking me to meet them in the village in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to army. The valley of Ono. It's kind of funny, right? Ono, Ono. Don't go to the valley of Ono. But the reality is that we all have a valley of Ono. Listen, there's always a valley of Ono that wants to drag you away and make you focus on something else than the great work at hand. When I was talking about this pastor that I met last week, a great work at hand. There's a great work. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to give myself elsewhere. There's a great work. I've got a calling. I have a mandate over my life. And for myself, when I was sitting there, I felt such a conviction in my heart to say, if I'm breathing and if I'm here right now, it's because God wants to work through me. He's not done working through me. And the last thing I'm called to do is to be caught up by all the distraction and all the things of the flesh and all the pleasures and all the stuff that wants to throw me off course and wants to lead me in the valley of oh no, where I miss out on God's calling. I look at Nehemiah. He was able to finish his wall. And I'm saying, I want to finish my life serving him and honoring him. I want to make a difference. I want to be driven by the call that God has placed on my life and on your life. Imagine if all of us this morning, we would place ourselves available and we would say, God, I want to focus on your work. I want to be like Nehemiah where he says, I'm engaged in this great work. I'm engaged in this great work. That's what needs to happen in our lives. That's what needs to happen in me. And probably that's what needs to happen in you. Where you're engaged in this great work. And it's to see people come to the knowledge of Jesus. It's to see the next generation be disciple. It's to walk with those that are sick and suffering. It's to invest in God's kingdom financially because God has blessed you with the, administ- with the blessings of, of business and so on. God bless you financially. God wants to work through you, and God wants to reveal himself in your life. And it's so important for us to see that and take a hold of this truth. Because if we don't, we're going to miss out on this great work. Wouldn't it be sad for us to miss out on this great work? You know, it's such a great work. We look at even in this, this body, there's so much work to be done. It's ridiculous. So many people to be mentored. So many people to pray for. So many people to be visited. So many people to to rescue and to love on, to welcome, to serve. It's unreal. 
And what I need to see, I need to see that great work. And it starts by seeing that great work. If I don't see that great work, if I do life and I think life is just about doing what I want to do, and I miss out on the fact that God placed a call in my life and there's such a great work, I, I'm going to miss out on, on his provision. I will miss out on him doing miracles and so on like we see in the life, we saw in the life of, of Nehemiah. So we want to see that. So, so when it comes to four questions I wanted to ask today, I want to challenge you with. Someone was asking me this week, so what are you going to be speaking on? I said, I only have four questions. And, I, and this is why I was, saying, I, was saying to them, I was saying to this person, I'm not too sure how to define my servant. It was just a call. The call was the first question, what am I living for? Secondly, as a Christian, what should I live for? As a Christian, what should I live for? What am I living for? What am I running after? What's the passion of my life? What am I living for? It says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, turn to God and change your way you think and act. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. And I could stop here and talk to you for an hour on the time that we live in, in. sitting with pastors from the nation and more than once in the last year or in the last five years, things are moving rapidly. Morality, Christian, a biblical worldview, when it comes to church, I have a biblical worldview, it's changing. The landscaping is changing. People, even pastors like myself, where when it comes to different fellowship, we, we can't even sometimes connect with pastors with our own fellowship because of what they believe when it comes to their biblical uh, worldview. Things are changing rapidly. You know, there's going to be a time where it's going to be a lot harder for us to meet together because of, of all the pressure that will come our way. But one of the things that we need to take a hold of, it's to, it's, to, it's to turn to God and change the way you think and act because the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus was near and he was saying, guys, turn to God. Change your way you think and act. You know how you change your way you think and your act is when you see the work at hand. When you see the wall that needs to be built, when you see the value of people, when you see the value of, 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 of souls and the value of the next generation that needs to be discipled, to see the value of people that need help. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, a famous verse that we know, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and, it will, and everything else will be, will be added unto you. So we, we have this call to see God's kingdom. And that's what happened in the life of Nehemiah. So my message this morning is it's a, a message of it in, inviting you to commit your life to Jesus. But not only for you to be saved from hell, but that you would respond to his call and say, God, use me for your glory. So the first question, what am I living for? The second question, what's the drive of my life? What, what's the drive of my life? Is it money? Is it success? Is it things? Is it pleasure? Is it recognition and fame? Is it comfort and a stressless life? Is it for my kids where I want to give them a, a, a financial legacy? Is it independence when I want to do things my way? 
Is it to play safe and, and to keep myself in the, in the middle of, the, uh, of Peloton? Like a Peloton is when you see people cycle, they group themselves in a group because when you're in the middle, it's a lot easier to pedal because you don't have any resistance. It's like the geeses that fly. Sorry, that, but they're flying south. That's a bad news, but they're flying south now. And, and the first one breaks the wind, and the others are, are cutting. Uh, it's a lot easier, I think 30% easier to fly. I don't know who calculated that. I don't know if anybody asked a, a goose, hey, is it how easier it is? I don't know. But this is 30% easier to fly behind another goose. But, but the thing is, will I hide myself behind other people? Or will I stand out and say, God, use me? I look in the next, in the future, I'm looking, talking to the next generation and the middle generation. What if God opens other doors for us to do church plan? How many people will be willing to go? How many people would say, God, use me. Here I am. I'm going to lay everything aside for you to respond to, the, to your call. I don't want to be tied down. And you shouldn't be tied down. We should have, we should do life with open hands where we say, God, we live for you. We, we, we belong to you. And that's where I think we struggle as a church. We have a problem to let go and say, God, who I am belongs to you. I live, I'm called to live for you, and who I am is not my own. It belongs to you. There needs to be a shift in our hearts where we see the wall that needs to be built. There needs to be a shift inside of us of how we live our lives, and we say, hey, there's a work that needs to be done. I'm not going to go in the valley of Ono because a wall needs to be built. There's a cause at hand. There's something wonderful that we're building. We're building lives not not size of a church, not the building, but we're building lives. So what's the drive in my life? I like what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20, 24. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? This is where it hits home. So run to win. So run to win. The question I have for you if I step on your toes, are you running to win? Are you running to win? Are you putting all your eggs in the basket and saying, I'm committed to Jesus Christ. I want to follow him with all my heart. I want to fulfill the mandate he's placed on my heart. Or am I just coasting? Or am I just in the middle of the peloton and just hiding and, and not wanting to face resistance and challenges? And here Paul is the prime example of someone that runs a race and he wins, he, he runs to win. So when I look at that verse, I've got a conviction in my heart. And I hear this voice of the Spirit that says to Claude, are you running to win? Wow. Then I have to go to the basic. I've got to go back to the whiteboard and say, God, what are you telling me? What are you telling me? So it's something needs to happen inside of us. Same thing in verse 25. It says, all athletes are disciplined in their own training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Man, we run for the things that fades away. But there's an eternity at hand. He says, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not just hitting in the air. I run with purpose in every step. And I look at the example of Nehemiah in chapter 6, people. He's caught up by the work. He's giving himself for the cause. That's, that's a question I need to answer. A third question. Why am I not doing the, 
What am I not doing that I know I should be doing? What am I not doing that I know I should be doing? That's a huge question. Do I have a, a half-built wall? Like in James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do than not to do it. It calls us, it's a sin to miss out and not to do what you're called to do. And sometimes we're afraid because we don't think we're capable, but God will equip you and God will lead you. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8 says, Produce fruit that shows that you have changed, that you have changed your heart and lives. Produce fruit that shows that you have changed your heart and lives. Like I said, I'm probably preaching to me this morning because this is a conviction I had this week. I have a heart, to have a changed heart and changed life and the ultimate goal is to produce fruits. My fourth question is, why am I not doing what I'm supposed to do? Do you find this example in Act 24, 24? A few days later, Felix, he was the governor of Judah, came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, sending for Paul. They, um, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control in the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. And the reason why he became frightened is because he was convicted. He had sin in his life. And he was convicted. And, and so I, I don't want to be frightened. I don't want to walk away from that conviction, right? There's some of you this morning, you'll have a conviction. What are you going to do with it? You got to do something with that conviction, you know? You got to respond to that conviction. You got to take a step out. You got to move ahead. And, and look what he says. He says, go away for now because he was convicted, he replied. When it's more convenient, I'll call for you again. When it's more convenient. It's never going to be convenient. When it comes to placing yourself before God and wanting to serve him, it's never going to be convenient. I, I remember many years ago when I was a lead pastor at 25 years old, I didn't know what I was doing at <laughs> 25 years old. It was the church plant I was pastoring. And I remember having this dialogue with God and saying, God, I... I'm too young. I don't know what to do. And, and the whisper was, I know you're too young, but I will equip you. I'll be, be, I'll be there with you. And, and, and I look at, it's never convenient. We can be too old. We can be too young. We can be, there's always a reason not to. There's always a reason not to. And so what we want to do is we want to respond to God's call. And my challenge for you is that you would go before God. First, that you would commit your life to Jesus. You know, you might be a, a, in grade 7, grade 8. You might be a teenager. Commit your life to Jesus now. Open your hands up to say, God, I want to serve you. You might be in your 20s. You don't know what to do with your life. Commit your life to Jesus and say, God, I want to serve you. You might be in your 30s and you're raising a family. Commit your life to Jesus. You might be in, for, in the 40s and your business is doing well. Commit your life to Jesus. You're in their 50s and you know that time is slipping by and you see how you don't have, um, there's more behind you. Commit your life to Jesus. And you're in your 60s and you say, oh, well, you know, it was a good race. Commit your life to Jesus. You might be 70 and you say, well, I can't really move. I don't know what to do. Commit your life to Jesus. You might be in your 80s. Commit your life to Jesus. It's something that we have to do. So what we learn from Nehemiah chapter 6 is that Nehemiah focused on the wall. And he did not go to the valley of Ono. And my prayer is that we would do the same. Amen.
Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.